What's up, Fight Fans? It's Jordan Kurtz with Comments from the Peanut Gallery Podcast coming to you today with a recap of this weekend's action at UFC 285. Now, we saw the return of the GOAT. It's undisputed now at this point, ladies and gentlemen. There is not a question of, oh, well, maybe he is, maybe he's not. This person could be ahead. This person could. No. John Bones Jones is the greatest mixed martial artist of all time. I don't want to hear any other discussions. You can even hear it from his peers directly, such as one that people would say, oh, Mighty Mouse to GSP. Mighty Mouse himself came out and said that it's that it's John. So I don't want to hear any more of the discussion on this side. Also, when we take a look at the body of work and the people that John has beat through the years, it's not a question. He has dethroned legend after legend, all the way from winning the UFC title as the youngest competitor to ever do it way back when against Shogun, then taking on murderous presences that who just had this lore behind them like a rampage Jackson to then Machida the Machida era was supposed to be a thing John Jones put to rest every single test that was ever put in front of him in the cage at least which is a great point that a lot of people always counter and say oh he doesn't embody the martial arts lifestyle he had all of this scandal that happened away from the cage that he can't be named the GOAT because of X, Y, and Z reasons. None of that shit matters once you're stepped in. When you take a look at the actual body of work that happened inside of the cage, there has never been a man that has been able to solve the equation of one John Jones. John Jones, in comparison to someone who says, oh, well, he's not a Habib who retired officially undefeated, doesn't have the Matt Hamill 12 to 6 elbow loss or any of the asterisks, any of that. Yeah, I'll give you that, that Habib retired at that 29 and 0 mark undefeated, didn't have uh, didn't have the major tests in that sense or have any sort of real questionable title defense decisions. There were a couple of decisions in his career earlier on that were a little bit uh, a little bit up for debate, if you will, but Habib had 13 total fights in the UFC. John Jones has more title fights and defenses than that, so you can put to bed that discussion. People can say, oh, GSP did the same thing. He took off four years and came back up a division and fought Michael Bisping for a title and won. Sure, I'll give you that, but GSP came back after all of that time and had a competitive fight with Bisping before he was able to ultimately submit him and get the win. John Jones did not have a competitive fight out there on Saturday night. John Jones all week said that he was going to make this look easy. Well, folks, that was hitting the nail on the head. He was full of intention, and you could just see that he was on a mission throughout the embeddeds, the media appearances, so on and so forth throughout the entire week. You knew that John Jones was going to be dialed in once it came time to get after it on Saturday night. John Jones went out there, unzipped, flopped his hog on the table, and said, how's my dick taste, Cyril gone? Or Cyril gain, as John said the entire fight week. It's one of those types of performances that 
you know, you do feel a little bit robbed as a fight fan because I think we all really and truly wanted to see that Francis fight as opposed to Cyril. But there was a lot of variables in the equation for the Cyril fight that I feel like that's why you go out there and you do the man dance to figure it out. Cyril was the biggest guy that John has ever fought in actual competition. Cyril is a 245, 250 pound genetic freak who is carved out of stone, who can dunk a basketball like nobody's business, moves around and floats like a middleweight and has ultra dynamic striking that would present issues for most people. But most people aren't John Jones. John Jones has arguably the greatest fight IQ that we've ever seen from any champion who has had this sort of tenure. John Jones also has physical dimensions that could at the very least negate or play range finder for someone who plays a distance the way that Cyril does. But for the fight to have only gone a couple of minutes before John just imposed his will for the guillotine up against the fence. That just goes to show you how damn good Johnny Bones is. And it also, though, at the same time, makes you wonder what could have been, which has been the large overlooming question for John the majority of his career. And it was hit on a little bit in the post-fight press conference, but if John were to have stayed the course, if he were to have not had all the transgressions that took him away from the cage, whether it be drug tests, legal infractions, whatever the case may be, would he still have the, that same Nike push? Because the Bones Nose campaign was huge. John Jones was one of the only fighters that was ever featured by that major level brand, that type of brand and that sort of exposure, the way that a Nike payout could have also continued to deliver for him through the years. Games to speaking endorsements to whatever else may be. John Jones could have been arguably the most iconic figure of this entire era, but all of those things that happened adversely for him took away basically Every major, I don't want to necessarily say every major opportunity, but a lot of opportunities and especially major mainstream opportunities for John to get out there and to grow his net worth, to grow his brand, to spread his message. And fair to the companies on the other side of, you know, do we want to put this investment in a guy who we don't know if he's one night away from running into cars, getting caught with illicit substances, hitting people that he shouldn't be putting his hands on? You don't know. That's part of the wild card of John Jones. But as it stands now, the Monday after the fight, we don't have any sort of news of infractions away from the cage since Saturday night. John had a big after party out there in Vegas. We haven't heard or haven't seen any news of controversy coming from there. So hopefully it stays that way. But again, John Jones is the GOAT. It's not even a debate at this point. Go ahead and at me if you disagree. In the co-main event, that is an outcome that if you were to put a pew-pew to my head and said this fight is going to end by submission via Alexa Grasso, yes or no. 
I'd have my great busted all across the pavement right now because I would have never, ever in a million years told you that a submission wager on Alexa Grosso was going to pay out. Did not see that being something that would ever come into fruition, albeit off of the mistake from Valentina. But this was not by mistake that Alexa Grosso was able to capitalize on that opportunity. Someone with the spinning attacks in their arsenal the way that Valentina has, Alexa Grosso and her coaching staff drilled that exact sequence to which there was a video put up online right after the fight showing her catching Valentina off of the spin. This was something that they were prepared for. And you know, very rarely do we see someone like Valentina make a mistake when it comes to the distance or the placement of a strike. But mistakes do happen, and it did show that she is human. She put out a statement on social media saying that in a fight, some mistakes are never forgiven. And I think that the real mark of the champion of Valentina will be to see what the work or the body of work that follows is. You know, she's never been beaten at flyweight. She's only had one close fight at flyweight for that matter. And that was the previous matchup against Tyler Santos. I do believe that Valentina was winning this fight up until that point where she got caught with the uh, caught with the choke from Alexa Grasso, which Talk about the strength of that neck crank. I mean, you could see from the actual pictures and evidence that this wasn't under the chin. This wasn't a full-on stranglehold choke. This was more of just a face crank from hell. As you saw from the image, Valentina had a mark around her jawline and her chin that was pressed flush white while everything else was beat red. And again, that just goes to show the uh, the pressure from the squeeze right then and there. But I will say this, as high as I am overall on Valentina, still think that she's by far and large the flyweight goat as far as women's MMA goes. And she's one of the greatest women to ever do it. I was a little bit surprised to see her response once she was finally having to defend from her back. It looked almost from the out from the outside that there wasn't an immediate intelligent response to what was going on. And maybe that's a little bit of being caught off guard. Maybe this was a position that she thought that I'm never going to get placed here. So you didn't do as much technical work from this spot or escaping out of here. You didn't foresee a grappling situation or a grappling matchup happening with Grasso, especially being that she's a boxing specialist. You know, I really don't have an answer for you there, but I do have to offer up that I was just surprised at the very least by the response that we saw from Valentina off of her back. All credit in the world goes to Alexa Grasso. She was that person who nobody really kind of gave her the nod going into the contest, but she went out, shocked the world, became the first ever Mexican-born female champion. There is now, as it sits currently, three Mexican champions in the UFC. That is Alexa Grasso, undisputed flyweight champion. You have Yair Rodriguez as the interim featherweight champion. And then you have Brandon Moreno as the undisputed flyweight champion. So that's that's a huge, huge thing for a culture who loves fighting, who loves mixed martial arts. 
who I also believe we're only going to see a surge of more fighters coming out of Mexico because of the PI that's getting built down there and all of the uh, all of the efforts that are being put to grow the infrastructure of MMA systems down in Mexico with the UFC being a big part of that project. You know, I, I think that uh, it's a very good thing for the sport as a whole that we're having these performance institutes placed all around the globe over in Africa, down in Mexico, over in China, spots over in Europe. I think it's only good for the growth of mixed martial arts to have more of these facilities, coaches, trainers, nutritional staff, all of these pieces put into place for fighters to grow and then eventually have a system that maybe mimics something of, say, baseball. I know I'm sure there's other sports like soccer, hockey, all of that that, that do it. But I know in baseball and places like the Dominican Republic, there's academies that will essentially have the top prospects out there go and live in a dorm situation. And all they do is train. They have the staff. They have the amenities. They have everything that they can to try to develop into being the best possible prospect that they can be. I think that's the direction that we're going. We're probably a few years out from it being in that exact vertical the way that, that baseball is. But, you know, it's it's on that way for sure. In the co-main event, or excuse me, in the feature fight of the night at UFC 285, that was one of the greatest fights of the year already, and we're barely only into March. That was Shavkat Rachmanov taking on Jeff Neal. I mean, what a gutsy battle back and forth. I do think that it's worth noting that Jeff Neal missed weight by four pounds. He stepped on at 175, so maybe that was a little bit of an edge or a little bit of something that Jeff still had in the tank to withstand some of the barrages that Shavkat was able to unload upon him before he ultimately had the technical submission with the choke, the standing uh, with the standing choke. But both fighters got a bonus for that which is kind of unprecedented typically in the ufc if you miss weight you don't get the bonus but dana white came out after the fight and said hey you know what i'm giving it to him i'm gonna pay the kid he uh he definitely has to get the the weight situation figured out but the show the guts the grit the entertainment that these two were willing to go and explore the deepest, darkest parts of themselves to be the man in the arena for our entertainment was something that was undeniable to be able to get that fight of the night type of bonus, which good for them. Good for them for giving these guys the bonus on that. You had a split decision between Mateus Gamrot and Jalen Turner. Yeah, that was a that was a fight that you saw a very definite styles clash you had the short stocky wrestler taking on a long and lengthy guy who likes to strike once Mateus was able to figure out the range and get inside I do think wrestling was a difference in that fight albeit it was a split decision there was a there was a couple of tight sequences in the latter two rounds and I think that that's what was able to get the nod for Matush on that one then in the curtain jerker for the main card there was certainly some controversy there Bo Nickel ultimately got the win with the arm triangle choke against Jamie Pickett, but this is in contention right now. Jamie Pickett has came out and said that they're going to appeal the result. I don't think that they're going to really get anything overturned or really uh, have any sort of measurable action or change on that side of things to the result itself, but that's definitely 
not a for, as, as far as Bo Nickel goes, that nut shot one hundred percent led to the sequence of him getting taken down and ultimately submitted. The shot to the groin was not called by the referee. You know, it it almost seemed like Keith Peterson reacted to the groin shot and then didn't do anything, which that's a little weird or just from the uh, from the eye test a little bit strange like you know I make, make a call like what are we doing here no nonsense get in there make a call but I think that overall the hype behind Bo is not for no reason Bo Nickel is a really really good prospect but I also don't believe that if we're looking at the hierarchy of the middleweight division I don't think that there's a lot of guys who see a performance like that and say "Ooh, like i'm scared and this is the boogeyman the way that it might have been when someone like hamzat chemayev came in and again bo is a blue chip top tier type of prospect but i also believe that nobody out there on any broadcast any show any outlet has really hit the nail on the head with bo and called it for what it is. The only reason why Bo Nickel is where he's at right now in MMA or is getting the push that he is is because he couldn't beat David Taylor. He couldn't beat David Taylor to be on the Olympic team, so then he had to make a transition. That's what it is. The Magic Man was able to stop his Olympic dreams, and then Bo had to figure out an alternate option. Nobody wants to mention that it was because of that shortcoming that Bo is where he is. And again, it's not taken away from him being a elite prospect the way that he is, but let's just put the cards on the table and let's announce everything for what it is. He couldn't beat the Magic Man. That's why he's fighting in MMA right now. In the undercard, I saw a lot of people throwing shade at Cody Nola of Garbrandt for the way that he won this fight against Trevin Jones. A buddy of mine, Zach Paunga, who I was at the watch party at Sportsbook 4, he made a great point on Twitter talking about this. And he said, you guys really want to be mad at Cody for fighting smart the way that he did, for grappling when he needed to? This man has been knocked out five of his last six fights. That's not just fight career implications. That's life implications by having that type of head trauma. Cody needed to go back out there and to get a win. And I think he also needed to not just get a win, but get a win in a way that he didn't have to go out and be in a barn burner type of fight. He didn't have to go out there and brawl. He didn't have to go out there and play to his ego and get into that firefight that, hey, we're going to let them things fly and one of us is going to fall. He didn't have to do any of that for that fight. And he went out there, got the unanimous, unanimous decision victory. Moves on to the next, and we'll see if we ever get the old no love back. I don't know if that guy is still in the vessel, but there's a chance that, you know, as young as he is, he could potentially make another surge, but I wouldn't counter it. I think that it's fun fights for Cody from here on out. But either way, I'm a no love fan, so I'm glad that he was able to get the nod and get out of there safely. You had a stoppage in the fight of Drikas Duplessis taking on Derek Brunson. Now, Derek Brunson is a friend of the show with the MMA plug. He's been on and talked with us. He's a great guy. We have experience with an old teammate of mine, Ian Heinish, fought him some years back. He had the towel thrown on him, and uh, you know, as Drikas was finishing that second round, 
I think that the fight fight was over at that point. You know, it could have been stopped by the referee at any point leading into those final seconds. But when it wasn't, Derek's corner just said, hey, you know what? That's enough. We're not taking any more damage at this at this point or at this stage in the game. And Derek also uh, made made the mention that thank you to everybody who's followed along my career. So that leads the majority of us out there to believe that he's calling it a wrap. You know, there's always the chance that that was just an emotional statement following the loss. But for someone like Derek, and when we talk, he had title hopes. He had title shot and title around his waist aspirations. And now that that's seemingly off the table and at his age and the uh, in the latter stages of his 30s, if he thinks that the title is no longer in the equation or it's going to be another couple of years to be able to get myself back into the equation of being a title contender that puts you, you know, at around or just beyond 40 years old. I can understand why Derek says, you know what, I've had a great career. I have been able to afford many things from this fight career and set myself up for the next chapter in life. I'll be at my real estate, my businesses, things that are set up for the kids. Derek Brunson has done well for himself in that respect. So if this is the last time, or if that was the last time that we saw you, Derek, thank you so much for the memories all throughout the years. We appreciate those gladiators like you who just time after time, put yourself in the fire and are the test for everybody who is supposedly the next big thing. Thank you, Derek Brunson for everything that you've done for the game. We had a fight between Amanda Hebas and Viviani Arujo. I wish that I could have half, no, not even half, just a fraction, a spark of the energy that Amanda Hebas has. I mean, the vigor that she has, the energy, the zest, talking about, oh, she she had grand uh, grand plans for 25, but she also wants something big at 15. I just, I love it. You hear her talk about chocolate. I wish that I could love anything as much as Amanda Hebas loves chocolate. So that's a uh, that's a, a big win for her getting back into con- and, and keeps it moving forward. We had a matchup that for me personally, this was a heartbreaker between Mark Andre Barrial, the Power Bar, taking on Julian the Cuban Missile Crisis Marquez. Julian is a friend of mine; he's a teammate. Uh, you know, Ju- Julian is one of those salt of the earth type of people. Once you meet him and get to know him, just a real genuine soul. I, I I love the dude to death already. I've only known him for a few months, but one of those just great people who you only want to see good things for them. And he had a, he had a good first round where I think we saw a lot of growth and evolution within his game. And sometimes, unfortunately in the fight game, stuff happens, gets caught in the second round. And that that's what it was, you know, the, the power bar. Congratulations to him for being able to pull that off. But I do know that Julian Marquez will be back and he will be stronger than ever. Before that fight, you had really, I think this was the coming out party for Ian Machado Gary. You know, Ian Gary was a guy who, in his first couple of UFC fights, me personally, from my vantage point, like, eh, you know, like, I could see that he's a, he's a good young prospect, but is he all that in a bag of chips is he absolutely everything that he's being cracked up to be right now and i didn't really see that with the uh, with the weeks fight in the jordan williams fight 
former roommate of mine for that matter, Jordan was beating him all the way until the short time mark where he overextended and to Ian Gary's credit was able to counter him when he made the mistake. And then that's where he found the finish. This last fight though, against Song Kanan, that was a masterful performance from Ian Gary, you know, that finishing sequence that he had and, and he did get rocked. Let's not forget that he did get rocked. So he did get clipped. I'm not going to give him the whole, uh, the mini McGregor or the McGregor type of push or hype by any means, but he did get clipped and he was able to weather the storm and figure out a way to gather his bearings and get back into the fight. Then goes on in that, uh, in that third round and unloads of, flurry of furious strikes on route to the finish and hits the billy walk right after i think that that was like i say that's the coming out party for ian machado gary and we probably see a little bit of a step up in competition for him in these next couple of fights they you start to see a little bit more of the promotional push for him he was on a few different outlets uh such as mma on point this last week or leading into fight week which when you start getting on these little, uh, the these different platforms, not always little, but you're you're a feature on different publications and YouTube shows, channels, platforms. The UFC notices what sort of reach that you're starting to have, and then that's when they start to funnel those resources behind you. I think Ian is on that track. You had following him, you had the youngest fighter on the card, and Cameron Simon taking on Mana Martinez. Now, I do believe that Cameron Simon is a bright prospect, but he has got to figure out the foul situation, whether it is the nut shots or the eye pokes. In each of his two UFC fights so far, he's had to overcome the adversity within the fight of having a point deducted. That's something that is not going to continue to fly. It, I mean, he's going to run into either bigger issues of potentially getting disqualified, looking at suspensions. There could be so many different things from that alone. But what happens when you go in there and you fight someone and you don't have these uh, these potential impairments? Because that, that's what it is. Like, let's call it for what it is. There was a couple of swift nut shots to Mono Martinez right away in the first round. Does that impact Mana's ability to move forward and perform? You know, I mean, I can't really say it right right there for Mana or what Mana might have been feeling, but taking two hard shots to the groin in the first couple of minutes of the fight might not impact the overall outcome uh, or, or change the result in terms of who would have gotten their hand raised, but it certainly can impact the strategies, the tactics, the output, so on and so forth of the person who that was inflicted upon. Then you flash forward a little bit more time in the fight, and then you have an eye poke. So now you're compromised in two different areas. And yeah, what I just say, what happens when you're facing someone and you don't have the nut shots, you don't poke them in the eye, you're facing someone who is the same live dog as you, and they're coming at you with an uncompromised full head of steam. That's what I want to see from someone like Cameron Simon. We had a jiu-jitsu girl versus jiu-jitsu girl matchup in Jessica Panay versus Baby Shark Tabitha Ricci. Baby Shark is legit when it comes to the ground game. I think that we saw a levels to this example in that fight. Yes, I understand that Jessica Panay is a former title challenger at 115 pounds, but that was also years ago, guys. 
that was a long time ago when she fought against Joanna and Joanna Joanna made her pretty bad. Her face was like a sheet of red coming out of that fight. And well, we're not talking about that fight. Following from there, though, Jessica Panay has had multiple USADA vacations, some her fault, some not, but that's been extended layoffs away from the sport that I think that as it is with women's MMA right now, we're seeing a rapid evolution rate. And it's not to say that the game has passed Jessica Panay by because she's had wins within the last couple of years and against good fighters like Lupi Godinez. But I think that somebody like a Tabitha who is a world champion grappler who is now figuring everything out and the striking department to blend that, to get to her ground game where she butters her bread. She's the next wave. She's part of that next wave of mixed martial artists, albeit kind of like the Ian Gary's and Cameron Simons of the world. These rising prospects who are just so gifted right out of the gate. And again, baby shark is the real deal. I think that she is a real threat to continue to climb the ranks at 115 pounds. In the following fight, we had Fareed Basharat taking on Damon Blackshear. Now, this matchup, you have uh, you have Damon Blackshear, who he came into this contest coming off of a draw against Yusuf Zawal. I do think that Yusuf won that fight against him. But, you know, D- Damon is a very big bantamweight. So I question overall in the long run how much longer he can make Bantamweight because he's a really big guy. He's got big muscle bellies, tremendous physique that, you know, I'm sure it's a a grind. It's work for him to get there. He trains with a good camp down there out of Jackson Wink, but that just wasn't enough to overcome the challenge presented to him by the undefeated Fareed Basharat. The Basharat brothers are a real problem right now. Both of them are Bantamweights. Both of them have a very deep skill set that they can take the fight in a lot of different directions and be absolutely as competent as anybody out there. So I, I think that the, the Basharats are a set of brothers right now in the UFC that you have to keep your eyes on and watch how they continue to grow and climb up these cards. And then in the opening fight, you had a matchup between uh, Lok Razbazov against Esteban Rybovich, which that was Rybovich's first loss. You know, I, I think that each guy had their moments in the contest, but ultimately I do think the judges got it right. But, you know, with uh, the way that that fight went back and forth, you know, each guy had their moment, each guy had uh, each other in trouble at times. Those are good fights to open up these big cards because you get to see a little bit of this next crew that has just been signed, you know, debut guys, guys fresh off the contenders, road to the UFC, so on and so forth, fresh off the regional scene, whatever it may be. You get to see some of these guys who maybe don't have a ton of fights in the UFC or are making their debut. And then, you know what? They set the tone to what was otherwise a pretty great night of fights. Overall, I think that UFC 285 delivered. It was a card that had fantastic action all throughout the card, whether it was on the prelims all the way up through the main event. It was a it was a great card to me, in my opinion. And again, just to wrap this up and sum it up, John Jones is the GOAT, ladies and gentlemen. There is zero debate about it at this stage. Let me know on social media what you guys think 
on the uh, on any of the fights. Hit me up at comments from the peanut gallery on Instagram at peanut podcast on Twitter. Drop your comments down below on your thoughts for any of these matchups. I'm Jordan Kurtz with comments from the peanut gallery. You could check me out on the MMA plug presented by Mile High Sports. That's with Big Yin's Josh Fremd each and every Wednesday night. Stick around for the next episode and we will see you next time. Thank you so much for watching. Please hit that like, share, and subscribe button. That helps us continue to produce this original MMA content and bring it for you every single week. Tune in to the MMA plug presented by denversportsbetting.com on 98.1 FM, Mile High Sports Radio on Wednesday nights from 6 to 7 p.m. Or live stream at denversportsbetting.com slash radio.